Acts in chapter 12, 20 through 25. 20 through 25. That will be our text. And we are moving right along at a pretty good clip here through the book of Acts. And um, we come to a text here that I, I was very hesitant about, but I do believe that I need to go through it because the Lord gives us multiple examples through Scripture of what to do and what not to, to do. And, and we're going to look at one of what not to do today. And uh, I think it is, it is needful for the church to, to see both. Uh, obviously, it's in Scripture. So we're going to go through that. If you can, stand for the reading of God's Word. It won't take but just a second, but we need to read this aloud. Acts chapter 12, 20 through 25. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, or attendant, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of... Did y'all catch that? He was eaten by worms. <laughs> the scripture doesn't leave this stuff out, does it? <laughs> he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last week, and really the last couple of weeks, we've, they've, they've been hard. Amen? They've been hard. We lost one we loved. However, by the saving grace of our Lord, an earnest prayer made by family, friends, and the church, the Lord heard our prayers, and he answered them on behalf of Tommy Champlin, didn't he? It was absolutely a beautiful thing to see the impact that he made on so many in this community and just really all around. In the case of, of Tommy, it was a, a lifetime of prayers, Right? It was a lifetime of prayers. In our text, in the case of Simon Peter, what we looked at last week, it was just a, a few days and God answered. And so we see that God's timing is not always ours, right? It just, it just isn't. Um, one, in one instance, we see where it was a lifetime, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. It was a lifetime for Nebuchadnezzar. You see where Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his life repents and he, and he turns to the Lord. Peter, here in this text right here, goes into prison, bound, which we'll talk about tonight. And I want you to come back to listen to that because I, I want you to, to hear some of the things that I have to say about that. Uh, but he's bound here and he's there for just a, a short while. I mean, we're talking about days, just a few days, because it was during the times of unleavened bread. And the Lord heard the church's prayers 
And he answered them, sending an angel to bring Peter out of prison and send him on his way. We learn to pray, not giving up until the end. Amen? And that's what we're supposed to do. We're we're to pray, not giving up until the end. We learn to pray with an expectancy that that our prayers will be answered. Remember the church when they were gathered in that, in that house, they were praying, but they didn't have an expectancy. Peter came knocking on the door, and he just kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking, and they didn't believe what the little girl was trying to tell them. So we need to have an expectancy, and we learned that last week, that he will answer. Maybe not always what we want or desire, but he will answer. Peter was delivered from his death sentence by the angel in prayers and went back to where they were praying. Now we're going to pick up there in 20 through 25. Now Herod, let me go up to 19 and let me read that because it'll, it'll set us up for where we're going to go next. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Herod was mad, um, so he, those that were guarding him, he put them to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So now do, he went down, that's an elevation. He goes to Caesarea, which is actually north. He spends time there, and while he is there, something happens. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's food, country for the king's country for food. Here in scripture we have Herod, one of six. One of six. Herod. This Herod is King Herod Agrippa the first. The grandson of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great who killed all the babies in Nazareth. You remember that? Everybody, you with me? Yes, no, maybe? Yes. Herod the Great had three sons. None of them were stellar. All of them were bad. The grandsons were bad. The two that are mentioned, Agrippa I and Agrippa II, Bad men. These were bad. I didn't even want to go into this, but I do find it pertinent for us to go through it to understand what the Lord is trying to show us with the death of Herod. Herod the Great had three sons. They were all bad. They got it honest. It was Herod, and I can't pronounce the name, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, uh, Herod Philip the Tetrarch, And then we move a generation and you get to number five, which is Herod Agrippa I. This is where we are at in history. This is what is taking place in history. This is actually historical in chapter 12. This is Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. Then number six is Herod Agrippa II, which Paul stands before later on in the book of Acts. Because this man's about to die. The Lord's fixing to take him out. And so the Herods were were very, very wicked, wicked 
men. King Herod Agrippa I was the one who beheaded James, the brother of John. We just we went over that last week. He tossed Peter into prison as well. Bad dude. And it's striking for these men to be so bad, they, they truly did listen to the law of God. And I say listen, I use that term lightly. They, they adhered to the law of God. Like they, they loved the law of God. And, and like I said, I use those terms lightly because they, even though in their practice of them and keeping the traditions of them, it did not work out to produce fruit in them. This Peter, or this uh, Herod in our text, he's about to die. He's about to die. And there's going to be reasons why that is. Verse 20, so why was Herod mad at the people of Tyre and Sidon? Probably because of some trade deal. We don't know exactly what it was. But there was a food issue. Um, we don't really know why they were mad, but they were, or he, was, he was mad at the people of Tyre and Sidon. All we know is that the food was cut off. Listen to what it says. Uh, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. Their food was cut off. But remember, during this time, if you go back just a few verses, during this time, there was a famine in the land. Does everybody remember that? Remember when, when Paul and Barnabas were sent back to Jerusalem to give them offerings from Damascus? There was a great famine in the land. Obviously, the king... Is going to have the food, right? These people were cut off. They were starving. They needed to eat. So they go to Blastus, the king's attendant. And they get Blastus's ear, the king's attendant, the one that speaks to him pretty regularly. And by the way, anybody that got close to Herod most generally died. <laughs> Any of the Herods. And so this was not really a position I would think that people would have wanted. I, I don't know how they got it. But uh, they, these men were extremely evil. Blastus here, the king's attendant, the people from Tyre and Sidon, they get his ear and, and they say, Listen, we need to work out this thing in peace. We need to work it out in peace. So they could start trading again and get the resources and the food that they needed. Now I'm setting this up and I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to read to you because we are going to see what exactly happened with this Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I. Verse 21, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Keep in mind this man was a narcissistic, pride-filled man who not only supported the gladiator arena games, which is an understatement. He supported the gladiator arena games, but took great joy in watching people time after time die very barbaric deaths in the arena. This was not a good man. 
Not a good man. The scripture says at an appointed time, while at his stay in Caesarea, here he is at his stay in Caesarea, he enters into an arena or an amphitheater where he could be seen and where he could be heard to give a speech. And we all know what the, what the Roman Colosseum amphitheaters look like. Everybody knows that. Everybody has seen pictures of those. Uh, most generally, they were circular and they, they went up. And those that were speaking could be heard because it was an amphitheater. It, the sound traveled and it went out. And so he comes in on this appointed day and he sits down to give this speech. This great oration. And he does. At the appointed time. He wanted to be seen and he wanted to be heard and he gives a speech. Now with this being said, we can turn to historical records to get more details on this day. I understand why the Lord God left it out of his word. I understand why. I feel like I do anyways. But I want to give you an historical background on what took place on that day, according to Flavius Josephus. Y'all have heard me talk about him here recently, and the reason why is because he gives a very detailed description and account of Jewish history. Understand it's not inspired, it's not the Word of God, but it is historical. And so we can look to that and we can, we can find details and we can find different things that will help us out understand a little bit better what's going on. Flavius Josephus, the great historian who was born around 37 AD, would have been six or seven years old when this incident, this accident or this incident took place. When this took place, he would have been a young boy about like my son. Y'all remember when you were young? Judy says no. Anybody else? I remember when I was six, seven, eight years old. I remember that. It's been a long time, but I remember it. David, do you remember that? Some. So not only is Josephus writing years later about the accounts in Jewish history, but he also lived through a lot of these Jewish accounts. And we have that in, in this place right here, barely, but we do have it. And, and he is going to explain this circumstance a little bit better for us to give us a little bit clearer picture of what happened in Caesarea on that particular day with Herod Agrippa I. On page 412 of his book, he writes about the day this Herod took the stage and began to speak to the people. He was exalted with pride and the praise of men. I want you to listen to the account, the, the record of what was said and what was done. And this comes from a non-inspired Jewish historian that is very trusted. I want you to listen to what happened on that day. And I quote, He put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a texture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at what time the silver of the garment being illuminated 
by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out in a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over all those that looked intently upon him. And presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, that he was a God. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man. Yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Upon this the king neither rebuked them nor rejected their impious flattery. Flavish Josephus, page 412. What does it tell us? It tells us Herod put on his robe in all of his splendor, this silver garment, and he wanted to make an entrance. And so he comes in at the time when the sun is coming up, and we get this picture of this man who wanted to be seen. And when the crowd saw him, it was just, this account was just, he he was brilliant, or it was just, he was beaming with light, reflecting off of him all over the place. The people begin to worship him and say, not only we have treated you like a man, but we know now that you're more than that. You're a God. Listen to what it says in verse 22. First off, I believe that Herod believed he was a God. I do. Verse 22. And the people were shouting the voice. Now this is God's word. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Here again we have history lining up with God's word. Right? The Bible and history line up time and time after time and time again. It just continues to line up. Luke was inspired by the Spirit when he wrote this. Flavius Josephus wasn't, but he's going back and he's recording the accounts years later. And imagine that. They line up. Virtually identical. Herod was so filled with pride and self-glory, an angel of the Lord struck him down. This is what took place. He thought he was really something, didn't he? Why did the angel strike him down? Look at verse 23. And the people were shouting, verse 22, the voice of God and not a man. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Why was he struck down? Because he did not give God the glory. How often in our lives do we not give God the glory? How often? Man, this is an example. All the way through the book of Acts, we have these crazy examples. Ananias and Sapphira was one of them, right? And it's set as an example for the church to see that we're to give with an with a, with a honest and a cheerful heart. Here we have Herod being struck down. Mercy was not extended to this man. 
It was not given to him. He was struck down because he did not give God the glory. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he didn't give God the glory. The Lord humbled Herod right here. He broke him. No mercy whatsoever. Herod's exaltation lasted about as long as his speech. And the Lord struck him down. And the Lord did this because the Lord requires all glory and honor go to him. All the glory and honor are due to our true king, King Jesus. Now this is very, very easy. This text and this sermon about pride and giving God glory is, is very easy. But it's very hard in practice. Day after day we are tempted with pride, are we not? Right or wrong? We are. We're tempted with pride. And it seems like the older we get, a lot of times it gets worse. We get staunch in our ways, don't we? Yes or no? Thank you. If there's anything true, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything that is praiseworthy, we must give God all the glory. All of it. In trials, in deaths, that we just experienced, we must give God the glory. I stood here last Monday, last Tuesday, over Tommy, his shell. I don't know how many people were here, but I do know this. I give God glory because the testimony was given that he received Christ Jesus as Lord and Master, Savior. God deserves all the glory for that one. All of it. In death, in grief, be like Job. Give God the glory. When we are thriving, it is very easy to get filled with pride and, and to believe that we don't need the Lord because we got plenty of money. But when we are thriving, understand that it is not you that has earned that money. It is God who has given it to you. As Christians, we understand this. But yet we get away from it. We believe that our pocketbook is our security instead of the God of heaven who owns it all anyways. Pride comes in. We don't need God anymore because we got all the food like King Herod. We got all the wealth and the riches. We don't need him. But boy, you take all that away and all of a sudden everybody's praying. When we are thriving with plenty, give God the glory. When we are hungry and low on money and we don't know really what we're going to do, Especially give God the glory. 
He is bringing us through seasons for a reason to cultivate and to move in our hearts for us to be a much more perfect person in Christ Jesus. And for that, we give God the glory. In health, give God the glory. We forget about Him in health, don't we? It's kind of like a pain when it goes away. You don't really notice it until you think back and you're like, oh, my knee's not hurting anymore. Right? Y'all ever experienced that? Your knee's hurting, your shoulder's hurting, or whatever's hurting. And then all of a sudden it goes away and there's hours or maybe a couple of days that go by and you're like, oh, I feel better in my knee. We need to be cognizant of what's going on in our life and even in our health, especially in our health. We need to give God the glory. My grandmother is 90 years old. She can't hear thunder. But she's in about as good as health as I've seen anybody. And she's got the joy of the Lord and it's her strength. Anna Wilma. That's her name. Anna Wilma Arnold. And she gives God the glory for her health. And she gave God the glory for her husband's death when he died. In our sickness, we're to glorify His name. We're to glorify His name in our sickness. In our accomplishments. Our accolades. Give Him the glory. When you're put on stage because of something great that you've done, understand that the glory and the honor goes to the one that gives good gifts from above. For waking up in the morning, we need to give Him glory. And for going to sleep at night, we need to look back on the day and thank Him and give Him glory for exactly what He has done for us. Hindsight's always 2020. At night especially, you should give Him the glory for what He brought you through during the day. We should praise Him for His glorious attributes. He in His mercy, God the Father sent His Son to set sinners free. We should praise Him for that. For the mercy given to me, I give Him glory. Lord, we glorify Your name. We exalt You. You are worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. When was the last time you just said hallelujah? Praise you, God. Give Him glory, guys. We have an example in Scripture laid out for a reason. Herod didn't do that. When Herod didn't do it, the Lord struck him down. Herod had an opportunity, and he had an opportunity to point all the glory that was being raised right then and say, no, 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 no. All glory goes to the God of heaven. Not me, to the God of heaven. Now we know he didn't do that, and neither did any of his family members. They were very, very wicked. 
But it didn't matter. He still should have given God the glory. For especially the grace given to us, we should glorify Him. I received grace, unmerited favor, and I did nothing to deserve it. While I was a sinner, it was given to me. He made me alive and brought me to life to where I could see sin, to where I could understand His righteousness. Where I could see that Jesus Christ is the only way. And I give Him glory for that. Listen, church, all through Acts, all through this book, and even, I mean, the Bible also as well, of course, but we see some really extreme examples that the Lord gives us all the way through Acts in the beginning of the church. And why does he do that? To set the stage for us on how we are to live in this church age. How did Herod fail? Herod failed because he was lifted with pride. Just like Adam and Eve. In each of these situations, you see a fall. Herod failed just like Adam and Eve failed. Herod wanted to believe he was a god. Adam and Eve did too. For in the day that you eat thereof, don't you know that you'll, you will know good and evil and you'll be like a god? Adam and Eve was like, oh man, this is wonderful. Well, no good and evil. But they fell. They were lifted up with pride and they fell. Adam and Eve. Cain fell. Satan was kicked out of glory. The most wonderful, beautiful singing angel was lifted up with pride and he was thrown down and tossed to the earth. In each instance, a fall took place. At one point or another, each of us has dealt with this monster called pride. Each of us. As a minister, I deal with it constantly. I do. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me just be vulnerable with you. People with bigger churches. You don't think ministers deal with that on a regular basis? People with bigger churches? People who preach better or who orate the scriptures better or expound on them better? You think pride doesn't well up in a person's heart and jealousy? Absolutely. And these are things that constantly have to be casted down in my own heart. My own heart. And where does it with you? Where does it with you? I can be vulnerable with you. And I can tell you this from the pulpit, but I want you to be able to apply it to your own heart. Where does pride well up in you at? Is it because you're older and somebody's younger and they're telling you the truth and you don't want to believe them because you've believed it this way the whole, your whole life? Or is it because you're younger and you think you know more than those that are older? 
The Lord has a way of getting our attention and humbling us. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? At all? Right or wrong? Pride. And, I, and I've preached on it many times, and one reason I've preached on it many times is because I deal with it. Pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before what? A fall. That's what the Word of God says. And so where you see pride at, you're always going to see a fall. Destruction and a fall. You see that in kings? I'm going to promise you something. You're going to see it in world leaders too. World leaders. Pride. Destruction. Haughty spirit. A fall. Look at verse 23 and I'm done. Listen to what it says. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. The Lord incorporated an angel here. I mean, this is, pretty, this is a pretty big deal. We look at pride and we see that the Lord used an angel to strike this man down. And one thing that I see that's crazy about that is he, he uses angels all through Scripture. But one place in Genesis where I see that he uses an angel or two angels is when they go over into Sodom and Gomorrah. And he uses those two angels to pour out wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. So anytime you see the Lord using an angel to communicate with people or to do his bidding, it is for a reason. And the reason that we have here is for us not to be exalted with pride, but to rather give God glory for everything that he's done for us, whether in sickness or health, whether plenty or nothing. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This Herod Agrippa I, grandson of Herod the Great, was eaten by worms and died. Why? Because he was filled with pride. He liked that pride. He savored it. He was swelled up with it and exalted by it. And he failed to give God glory. Three things very quickly. I mean, real quick. First, pride was found in him. Second, Herod Agrippa I let the people worship him as a God and did not direct their attention to the Lord God of heaven. Third, What's so striking about this, all the way through the Herods, they knew the Jewish law very, very well. All of them. They knew, it, they knew it very, very well. They were very strict in even practicing it. But yet, it did not save them, did it? No. We know that all the good deeds, all the law-keeping... It'll always leave us empty 
will always leave us without salvation. You can practice the law all you want to. You can get good at it. You can memorize it, know it backwards and forwards. The law is given so that it would lead us to Christ, not so that we could be a better person. The law is given to show us that we need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And this is what I read to you earlier. For by grace are we saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation comes from the Lord above. And I pray this morning if if you are dealing with pride or if there is an issue in your heart where you, you you just can't handle it, I want us to use this as an illustration and as an example and see just truly how bad the Lord abhors it in His mind. These six things that the Lord hates, seven are abomination. A proud look hits the top of the chart. A proud look. I pray that we would examine our hearts. This is a very, very dangerous place to fall into the hands of the living God. If there is pride in your heart, if there is something of that nature that is causing that, work it out or it will destroy your family, your relationship with your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, just like it did all the Herods. From one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Pride, pride, pride. And Satan's even made a mockery of this word, hasn't he? Now we have gay pride. As it's something that is good. There's nothing good about pride anywhere. Nothing. You alright? Okay. So guys, this morning, search your heart. If you find pride there, Ask the Lord to help you to remove that at any, at any cost. Because we have examples in the Scripture, and it's, and it's, it's not, a, not good, not good at all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.